Welcome to the Leadership Mind podcast, which is brought to you by the Kane Centre at University College Cork. On this podcast, we will bring you conversations where we can explore how we think and how we can continue developing our meaning and truth-making capabilities throughout our adulthood. We hope you enjoy the show. This first episode comes from the launch of the Leadership Mind book by co-authors Conal Fanning and Assumpta O'Ken at the UCC Centre for Executive Education at Lapsky in Cork. At first, you will hear the thoughts of many of our special guests about leadership and then a conversation about the book with the authors and journalist Dion Fanning. Let's hear from the book launch. Good evening, my name is Anya Collins. I'm from a company called Trastnet Technologies Limited. And we're based in Mid Street in North Cork and also in Dublin. Hmm. Interesting. Oh, God, that is an interesting question. Who do I think of leadership? I think of Michael Collins. I think of Michael D. I think of President Ireland, first female, Mary Robinson. I'm uh, Danny Finn and I'm a computer programmer. Um. My manager and political leaders of different countries, that kind of thing. Fergal Lennon, MBO Partners. I probably think of a Bill Gates or a Steve Jobs. Visionary, what I would think of. Uh, my name is Pat McGrath and uh, I'm involved in management consultancy and uh, the subject of leadership is very close to my heart. And the person I think of right now who's showing real leadership is Vladimir Zelensky, the president of Ukraine. Because I don't think much was expected of that man. Some people called him a clown and were very dubious when he became president of the Ukraine, coming from his background. But man, that man has shown real leadership. Pori Cocaine, brother of Assumpta. A leader is someone who can take their team, who can understand their team, who really gets into uh, what's it all about and lead from the front and you know whether that's taking a risk as an entrepreneur or taking a risk of, as a manager it's how you lead from the front and bring, bring your team on understand their needs and have some vision to look a little bit further down the road So I'm Kieran Murphy and I'm the former Dean of a business school in UCC so I, I think of Colin Fanning uh, because I know the amount of work that he's been doing on leadership and both he and I have often discussed the if you like, lack of depth in terms of thinking around leadership. And Connell, for me, is the person who was doing more than anybody else that I knew of in academia in trying to understand leadership. Uh, Niall Lukin. Uh, I'm currently going to study business economics at college. Uh, definitely my dad, and um, more of a role model too, and just how he leads, and I think how he leads in different aspects of life, and how there's so many different forms of leadership. Looking at every aspect of his life, I would look up to him from a lot of leadership qualities and you know, try to follow them the best I can. Um, my name's Sandra. I'm from County Mayo, but I live in Cork. I'm doing a PhD in film studies in UCC. Who do I think of when I think of leadership? Probably instantly just the classic leaders like presidents and politicians and things like that. Then on a deeper level, leaders, you know, people that have shaped me in my life and 
I don't know, people that I look up to and like heroes and people like that. Barack Obama or our own politicians, uh, like Michael T. Higgins. Yeah, more our president than our politicians. My supervisor for my PhD, you know, any lectures, like, yeah, all of that kind of people that have had like a, a leadership role in my life, yeah. Pierce Donovan. And I work with, uh, I'm from BlackRock, and uh, I work with Moore. It's a financial accounting firm. Well, it's very hard to think of anything because there's so many different versions of what leadership is called and so many different understandings of it. So nothing in particular comes to mind because there's so many different leaders that I dislike out there in terms of leaders. My name is Niall O'Keefe. I'm with Cork City Council, Head of Enterprise. What I think of is people being clear about a vision of what needs to be done, how to bring the resources together to effectively achieve the goals. Leadership, I, I suppose there are horses for courses. There are people that have been great leaders in their own sports, people in their own business and so on in terms of names. No, I, I, there isn't one springing to mind. I'm Shelley Cronin-Carl. I'm the Associate Director for Analytical in Nina Lilly, but from Carrigaline, and delighted to be here this evening at this lovely event. Well, I suppose I'm biased in that Connell and I, I studied under Connell um, a couple of years ago. We did a reading for transformation at the start of my own leadership journey with Eli Lilly. And it's just been, it was so transformative for me in how I actually approach it from a psychological safety perspective or just how I approach my team and stuff. So Connell is probably the person who jumps to mind in Cork. So I'll be biased <laughs> on that one. Yeah, <laughs> uh, Jackie Gavahan, lecturer in uh, Munster Technological University, uh, Kerry. They have this extra X factor, I think. They're able to work with and through other people. They get the best out, but they have to have passion and passion about the area they're in. And uh, there's no doubt that these people who are leaders will always, they will go outside their comfort zone. Leaders have a special, there's a special factor, you know, and a special intelligence. There's a special intelligence, definitely. And an emotional intelligence, I think, that comes with good leadership. Anne-Marie Cahill, and I'm working in Gas Networks Ireland. Well, I suppose when I think of the word leadership, a name doesn't really come to mind, but I suppose what comes to mind are the types of leaders I've encountered, I suppose, over my working life, the good and the bad. Hi, Arthur Little, based here in Cork City. Spent the last eight years uh, driving a hotel business on uh, in the Victorian Quarter. So leadership, I look at some of the military leaders, I look at the likes of Michael Collins and all of the, always about the vision and the strategy and then bringing people along with them and convincing maybe people who didn't want to proceed in a particular way and trying to get that common objective. And I often see with good leaders the loyalty that their team have for them and will do anything and will throw themselves on the ground to help to achieve something. Proud Corkman, maybe I shouldn't mention Church. An incredible leader again and even Lloyd George if you want to go back to the 1920s and... Our own, you know, Arthur Griffith, an incredible individual, and De Valera, you know, let's, let's throw them all in there. But it, was all, it seemed to me all about their ability to give people a destination where they could bring people to and drive on, and that commitment to reviewing all the time what the destination is and adjusting and then communicating what that changes. My name is Dion Fanning, I'm a journalist with The Currency. For the purposes of, of this evening, I'm afraid I'm also Connell's nephew. And the President talked about two independent thinkers, and 
my experience of Connell has always been like that. But it, it was crystallized when I was 17 and doing my leaving cert and studying economics. And I say studying in the loosest sense of the word, meaning the exact opposite of studying. But it was decided that I would go and spend a weekend with Connell in Cork and sort out the economics problem as it pertained to my leaving cert. I'm not sure who found the weekend more trying, although it was probably Connell. And I would love to say that it was transformative, but in terms of the uh, immediate objective, it really wasn't. But in another way, it was. And that's why it kind of links to why being here is, and this book is so important. Connell, until that point in my life, was my uncle, who I said, who was always came at an angle to things. He was energetic and warm and clever. He spent most of his time talking and writing about Keynes, as far as I could see. But that weekend, I got to see how, I got a first glimpse, really, of how Connell thinks and how he thinks with people. And a it's a process which remains to this day, begins with a standard opening question, which is, what are you reading? And that is the question that when Connell asks it, I feel I always must have not just one answer, but several answers, because I'll lose his attention if, it's just, you know, if it is not. But it is, it is, it is a start, starting point. And when I was there that weekend, I look back at it now, I wanted to be told what to do. And Connell wanted to ask me, what do you think? And that is what this book is about as well. And it isn't always easy to be exposed to that rigor, certainly not as a 17-year-old who just wants someone to give him the answers. But it is always stimulating, and it's always been stimulating. And this book is in that vein. And when I had one Zoom conversation with Assumpta, I could see that she also has that same independent thinking, that same restless curiosity, and a desire to move beyond the comforting cliches to what might be the truth, or what feels like the truth. And this book has that questioning attitude. It's a, a design for life, I would say, as, as well as a book about leadership. And it, it's invaluable for anybody who wants to know more about themselves or is, or is just eager to evolve or change in any way. I also saw it as, I read it and I suddenly began to feel empathy for the executives and managers, the bad executives and managers I had worked with over the years. And I began to think that they were cursed by not only having to do their own job badly, but having to provide leadership in some abstract notion of leadership, which as, as Connell, there are hundreds and hundreds of Connell and some to say, hundreds and hundreds of definitions. You know, if you can re be released from that and maybe just not worry about, and I, we all do it from both sides where you look at people and say, give me leadership. And you don't know what it is and they don't know what it is. And this book takes us some way towards giving a better solution. There's not, they aren't easy answers. I'm going to open it up now in a minute, or I'll ask Connell and Assumpta some questions first. But there was something, and the president used the word escape uh, when he talked about the book and this process of, of making an escape from conventional thinking. And 
you talked about Keynes. In Dublin in 1933, Keynes said, words should be wild, for they are assaults of thoughts upon the unthinking. And this is what this book is. They are assaults of thoughts upon the unthinking, and everybody needs them. I'm going to begin, when we talk about assaults on the, of thoughts upon the unthinking, it brings me to page 33. You talked to me about this book, Connell. You told me how it challenged things, but until I read this paragraph, I thought, right now, this isn't sugar-coated. This is on thought leaders. A further characteristic of such thought leaders, other than their noticeable lack of originality, thoughtfulness, and self-awareness, is their tendency to express themselves with confidence and assurance. Their swagger serves to cover up their lack of logical and evidential grounds in support of their claims. They also have in common the belief that leadership is a skill, practice, behavior, etc., that can be taught by them and learned from them, which provides a platform for the profusion of leadership development in the exec ed sector of the thought leadership business. So I'm reading that paragraph, I wonder how did this phenomenon take hold to such an extent? Thanks, Dion. Thanks for the introduction. The 17 year old and the whatever you are now. Yeah, I, I'll certainly go back to that um, because that kind of carries the story of human development. And we've got to remember that leadership is all about human development. But the bit you've picked out, page 33, I'll welcome Connell coming in on this, but I remember it very well. We, I suppose, we're doing some work on what is leadership, and we thought it was going to be just kind of a byproduct of a different question. And we went to all, everything that's available, the literature, the journals, the books you can buy in the bookshops, you know, the things you see on you know, all social media platforms. And what we saw was a plethora of confusion. One definition contradicting another, challenging another. Nothing wrong with any of them. But they never seemed for us to address the whole point of what leadership is. And, and you'll see that. And we have a, a colleague um, who worked extensively in generating the data from the social media platforms to illustrate that. And it's, it's I think, well laid out in the book. But to your point about page 33 and swagger and thought followership, I think what really appalled us about it was that these are the books we're reading, you know, the sources we go to to figure out, particularly if you've got a big job, big responsibilities, and you're under a lot of pressure. And you go to these sources to help you. And what became clear is that what was said today could be very different next week and the week after. So the way I work, Colin will pick up on that very quickly. The way I work, I'm always interested in the person behind who's producing something. So what became very clear is that the earliest stages of development, which we would kind of position quite early in the chronological age of somebody, is the mindset that is actually producing the swagger and the repetition and the plagiarism. And yet this is the data, this is where people go to find out how they're going to excel, run their businesses, um, you know, build organizations, lead people. And Connell, is that, some, that immaturity then of thought, is that something that has been allowed to kind of fester? I think it's just more than festering. I think it's been scandalously encouraged by uh, an industry that depends on perpetuating thought followership. 
and we have serious consequences of that today in this world. The problem we're, but as something alluded to there about the plethora of, and the confusion of concepts of leadership, uh, it's impossible for practitioners to know what they should work with. And we work with concepts all the time, so it's a very important question. But it led to another question, which is, how could this be going on in the world of business? Business has to succeed with the bottom line. It has to succeed in how it thinks. And yet one of its central ideas is a mess. So we were looking at it and saying, but how can business people put up with this? Why do they put up with it? How can it continue? And we propose an answer. It's for the readers to decide whether our hypothesis is valid. But we propose an answer that businesses like the Harvard Business Review have a deliberate interest in creating people to be dependent on them, readers to be dependent on them, to be thought followers, and to look to them for what to think. Our business in the Keynes Centre is about how to think, and we want people to escape from that. And we see today um, the result with, for example, the president mentioned the challenge to democracy, the crisis of democracy. Well, you've asked the question, why are intelligent people voting for autocrats and bossman rulers? And one of the answers has to be, I think, or we think, that it, um, it simplifies things. There's a lovely quote in the book we have from a US justice, Oliver Wendell Holmes, talking about the world as he was in the 1930s. And he said, I don't give a damn for simplicity this side of complexity, but I give anything for simplicity the other side of complexity. And that really captures it. We're living in an increasingly complex world. And instead of going beyond it, to get to the clarity, as brought in simplicity, the clarity at the other side, we're falling back to the simplicity on this side of the complexity. And the one thing bossman rulers and autocrats, Johnson, Trump, Urbano, Bolsonaro, the one thing they offer voters is simplicity. And that's easy. You're being told what to think. It's hard to think for yourself. And that's what essentially this book is about. And is that where that thought followership or a thought leader's idea comes from too? Because you do get the, and you have a whole section in it about the social media industry of, of comforting cliches and bromides and various things. Is that where that comes from too? And maybe when you answer that, Sumter, could you also talk about that point you make about headship versus leadership? and why that's important, and how that works as a quite a use-distinguishing uh, device. Words matter. We don't pay attention. We don't pay enough attention to words. So when you ask about the difference between headship and leadership, very few people stop to think about, well, what is my job? And in most cases, if you look at the content, it's headship. It's head of, it's CEO of, it's... But it, that reflects the function, you know, and the responsibility of the role. When it comes to leadership, what's that? I have worked in organisation development all my life and putting job descriptions together and putting them out on, you know, for people to apply. And if you actually look at the number of times on lots of different places, the word leadership is in every job advert. Mm. And then you ask the person, well, what, what are you looking for there? 
and you'll get, again, very confused, very... So our argument should be that the word leadership should be taken out of job titles and should reflect the titles of jobs for what they are and for what people do and the responsibilities they have. But that's very separate from leadership, which is what people are capable of. And that would be liberating for people then too, wouldn't it? That they don't have to spend their whole time thinking, I must be transmitting some vague notion of leadership. Absolutely. The way we look at it is the function of management is extremely important in any organisation. Uh, organisations by their nature need management and hopefully good management. But management has been devalued. It's been corrupted. No manager wants to be a good manager anymore. They want to be a leader. But if leadership is undefined, now you're corrupting the notion of management. So one of the arguments we're trying to make is to recover the notion of good management from the corruption of throwing unspecified leadership into it. There was a, we have an example in the book, and we didn't name it, it's an Irish university, not in this city, that put out an advertisement for a high-level HR position, and in it they specified must have demonstrated leadership. So being a kind of bloody-minded person, I wrote off to them and said, you know, I'm reviewing it. I didn't say I was interested. I just said, I'm reviewing the job description. Could you tell me what you're looking for when you say leadership? And this I got from the second level of the university. Oh, we're looking for someone who has led something. So I'm thinking, right, you know, now we're, this is, this is an Irish university. No, they're not the only one. You look at any ad, but from now on, we would like people to ask, when you say leadership, if, particularly if you're being interviewed for a job that is specified leadership, then ask the chairperson of the board, what do you want? What do you mean by leadership? And I guarantee you, nobody will give you a clear answer. We've tested it, we've tried it, we've gone through hundreds and hundreds. People just use this word as an empty word. That is dangerous. Talk to me a bit about Steve Jobs in this book, because... He does, in many ways, he's one of the people in this book, the case study, but he does personify that leadership conundrum in some ways because there are lots of reasons not to be like Steve Jobs. One of the big problems, and it's in the book with the people we review, uh, John Gardner and other people, they get themselves all knotted up. They would like leaders to be nice people. We all want our leaders to be nice people. Well, actually, what we want is our managers to be nice people because leadership is a totally different matter. So we use in the book the polite version, the Steve Jobs problem. There's no question but Steve Jobs demonstrated leadership twice in his life. And that's incredible. He demonstrated that when he changed how we listen to music with the iPod, and he changed with totally the world and how we use phones and have phones and everything else. So he made a, a clear difference in the world that we would call a leadership example. But he was a horrible person, apparently. Now, we're only basing it on the evidence and the reading and what people say. It seems like he was really an obnoxious character. So he's not a nice person. So the question about leaders being nice is mixing the whole thing up. The real issue, which we put in a footnote, we didn't want to upset people too much, is it's called the Hitler problem. If Hitler had been killed and died in 1938, the German people would have regarded him as one of their greatest leaders. That's despite now some of the unpleasant stuff up till then. We're not talking about what came after 1938. Hitler would have been regarded as a great leader, but now we have a problem. 
None of us want to call Hitler a great leader. So leadership is not about whether people are nice or anything else. Leadership is about having an insight into things that are going on, people, their situation and their prospects. The working out, the management of that insight, that's about where you want people to be good or not good. Not, well, you don't want them to be bad, you want them to be good. That's the stage where nice people, if you want to think that way, come in. So it matters very much, again, as I say, that you get the concepts clear and leadership and management are fundamentally different But I, I would say also, from the other side of you, say they're not nice, you know, nice people, but the horrible aspects of Steve Jobs are probably easier to mimic than the talent aspects of Steve Jobs. You know, it's easier to be, if you look at Steve Jobs, like, God, he was ruthless, he was capricious, he was impossible to work for, I can do that. The problem is I can't create the iPad or the iPhone, but I can do the nasty part of the job. I think we have a very clear view on that, that in fact, we have to pull out being a decent human being. We have to pull out being a decent human being as being a prerogative for taking on significant responsibilities, respect for people, listening to people, engaging with people. But they're not necessarily to do with management and particularly leadership. We would argue in the book there has to be a starting point, you know, almost as admission into management and leadership. Connell, President quoted the Robert Kennedy speech at the beginnings. Explain to me why that is so important in both your minds as a glimpse into leadership. When we were trying to figure out leadership, we were doing work with people on transformational development and we had no, the notion of using the idea of a leadership mind. It was just a marketing gimmick at the time. And we thought we'd go to the literature in the field, usual stuff in business and management and all that, and we'd pick up a suitable definition or two about leadership. In fact, we found there were three or 400 definitions of leadership. So now we had a problem and we had to start figuring it out. And one of the things we had to do was, as the president uh, said in his, his lovely opening remarks from Keynes about escaping from old ideas, we needed to escape from old ideas. That's not easy. Keynes is dead right about that. That's actually the hard thing. There's nothing difficult about what we've done in the book, except getting rid of your old ideas about leadership and opening up to a new one. So we had to go through that process. And like any creative process, it is a struggle to escape from the old. So we were looking at what, we didn't select the examples of leadership we were working with. We looked at historians and commentators and all those people to give us examples. And we came across one example in particular, and really we would exhort everyone to look at it on YouTube. It's only six or seven minutes. It's Robert Kennedy speaking on April the 4th, 1968, on the evening of the assassination of Martin Luther King. And it's an extraordinary speech. He had no time to prepare. So as we would say in the book, it had to come from himself. It had to come from the whole person. And he stood there for, four, for three or four minutes without notes, spoke, and on that evening, Indianapolis was the only major city of the United States that didn't burn. Every other major city, 102 of them, burned that night in the riots. And only Indianapolis was quiet. And that is why it's regarded as one of the greatest political speeches of all time. But more important for us, it demonstrates a leadership moment.
And so to get your exact question, Dion, we looked at that over and over again and realized it's not what you can observe that's important here, it's what you can't observe. And that was the breakthrough for us. And that just is our creative process. We were very lucky. There was about five or six of us in the room one day, arguing and shouting and banging. There was one or two of the people here. They were fairly, fairly fraught discussions in those days. But something happened and suddenly there was a breakthrough and we realized we're looking at this all wrong. We're looking at observables. Leadership is about the unobservable. And this totally transformed our way of looking at it. So that's why he was important as the example to see that. And it's, it, it, you mean as also not being a lasting condition necessarily? Very, very important point. And I think in some ways, many CEOs and business practitioners will really appreciate this because you, I think you alluded earlier that there's a lot of pressure on people when leadership and leader and your organization is look, leadership anxieties and stress and all these things that people have to endure as well as running an organization and making a, a, a bottom line. But if you look at leadership, this is part of the rethinking, if you look at it as, am I able to step up when I have to step up? Am I developing myself, my capability for insight in the way I live, such that when the moments arrive, it flows? We know if you're not doing that, the moments arrive and you can't do it. Because human development is not like flicking on the camera switch. It is a deliberate, intentional process that you commit your life to, you live this way. Um, and we can talk more about that. But leadership does manifest in significant leadership moments. The times in our lives we have to make judgments and we can make judgments if we're working on ourselves. And the leadership anxiety then is what? The leadership anxiety, I suppose it's, we're back to words and we're back to concepts. If leadership is in the title, is that creating the anxiety? Do people have an anxiety that they're required, an expectation that they're required to do something that, as we've said, there isn't even clarity as to what it actually means? So that creates a ball of confusion for people. Think about you trying to figure this out, run an organization, lead people and so on. It creates a lot of confusion for people. So leadership anxiety is very real, but we wonder if leadership is backed out of, and you know, the, the idea of it being a permanent condition, and we look at it as a capability that you can produce when needed, does that create, again, an escape from an old and a very new way of looking at leadership and helping people who have big responsibilities to carry? And we talk about business here a lot, but I would also say this applies in life. You said earlier on this book is about living, so it's in relationships generally, because remember, everything we're talking about, leadership is about relating to people. Do you want to come in there, Connell? I was going to say, there's many a CEO has been fired for not demonstrating leadership, and yet they seem to forget to ask the board of directors what they meant by leadership. I really do think the most important thing people can do is every time they hear the word leader or leadership, ask the other person what do they mean. The president talked about the concept of leadership as ungendered. Can you talk to me about that, talk to us about that or something, and what that means? If you accept the idea, if you buy into the idea that the leadership mind is about yourself, about every single one of us, then it doesn't matter what gender you have. So the leadership mind grounded in adult development. I'll actually kind of answer the question in a slightly different way. When I finished training as a psychologist a long, long time ago, 
the general thinking at the time was to, or development stops at 18 years of age. You, I laughed when you told the story about being the 17-year-old. And that has been the conventional wisdom for some time. But in the last 30 years, there's been a lot of work. There's a, a wonderful guy, um, Professor Robert Keegan in Harvard, who has pioneered and frontiered this whole idea of adult development and that the idea that there are stages that we actually need to mature into and grow through toward the leadership mind. And rather than us writing about that in a very theoretical way in the book, we composed some characters. Um, Angela and Maggie have become household names for us as we worked through the profile for them at their stage of development. Now, the interesting thing about Angela when you meet her is that she's about 40 years of age. Um, she's just been appointed a CEO of a medium-sized business and she finds herself a year into the job completely in over her head. She ticks every box in terms of qualifications, experience, achievement to that point. But suddenly she finds herself with a much bigger role with inherent uncertainty and with incredible complexity. And she finds that the, what we call the how she thinks, the adult development, is actually misaligned with the external world. So she meets a trusted, what we call a trusted critical friend, Maggie, who explains to her what is happening, that what's catching her is not what she thinks. She's quite expert and quite knowledgeable in her story of who she is, and she's quite accomplished in her engineering discipline. But the how, which is this invisible, which is what Connell was talking about, about leadership, we can't see it. You see, it's intangible. It's invisible because it comes from within. And of course, if you're not working from within, then it just can't happen. So we've tried to show through Angela, Angela 1, Angela 2, with the help of her trusted critical friend, Maggie, to show how somebody can come through a development process. And that's how, because when you're talking, when you're talking earlier, the question that I think people will be thinking is, how does... How do we do this then? What is the process? And again, unfortunately, maybe there isn't a simple answer. It's not a simple, you, the contention you have in the book is that it is a, a willingness to kind of embrace every uh, aspect of change in your, in your life. I know this field quite well. I've worked in it for a long time. And I think a bit like leadership, there's a lot of confusion out there. People talk about soft skills and emotional intelligence and lots of other things. However, when people are in the heat of the moment, when they have to you know, work and, and carry on with their lives, a lot of that is not very accessible. So what we hope we've done in the book, by creating the socialising mind, moving into the management mind and moving into the leadership mind, there is a method that people can, and we can explain what they mean, as we've tried to do through Angela and Maggie, but there's a method there which people can absorb and integrate um, and make their own. Yeah, I'll just come in and make one point. Personal development is very difficult. There's no question about that. It's hard. It's hard work. And it's hard even to do it deliberately and intentionally, not a mind, when it happens to us. But there is certain simple things that we would suggest, and we have them in our final chapter, some number of distinctions to take away. We're working very much 
with the ideas of Bob Keegan, as Sumter said, and people like him, but he's our particular person because it's just the way he presents things works for us. There's others doing it too. But what we became aware of working with his ideas is that there's a confusion as well between education and development. Because our early years are dominated by education and our personal development is carried by the educational process, we tend to not see the distinction between the two. And we regard them as pretty much the same. And even teachers do, which I find quite extraordinary, but hopefully the, you know, the years will change that. It's quite a, a mystery to me why this work that Keegan and others were doing in the 1980s is so little known. Even in teacher training colleges, they don't know about it. And yes, it's extending the work of Piaget, which they teach in the schools. So if you make the distinction between education and development and see that education carried development up to 18, 19, 20, when your formal education ends, the assumption then is that your development has pretty much ended. After that, you might acquire more information, you might acquire more knowledge. This is a major blunder that's costing society very dearly. So one of the things we would hope that we can achieve in this book is to get people to take away, in their thinking, the distinction between education and development. And when their education finishes, or when it becomes lifelong training courses, lifelong education courses or whatever, that's grand. But that they don't confuse that with personal development. Personal development is not about knowledge, it's not about intellect, it's not about qualifications or any of those things. It's about how we organize experiences in our lives into our meanings and truths. And that is not a matter of schooling. So while education is obviously extremely important, we wouldn't have buildings, we couldn't fly, we wouldn't have microphones without all this stuff. And I was part of that for 40 years, so I'm not certainly going to say uh, I wasted everybody's time, I hope. But it is this distinction which is crucial to realize that when education ends, development can continue throughout adulthood. And yet, 85% of people do not develop beyond a certain stage that is something called the socialising mind. That's frightening, and that's why we vote for authoritarian rulers. We really do have to shake ourselves out of this stupor, of this complacency, and take on the responsibility to continue our development in adulthood, to get to the simplicity at the other side of complexity, not the simplicity at this side of complexity. Thank you for listening to the Leadership Mind podcast, where we transform how we think about leadership for ourselves. As a final reflection, we would like to leave you with our guiding observations from John Maynard Keynes, which says, The difficulty lies not in the new ideas, but in escaping from the old ones. For more information, please visit our website, keynes.ucc.ie.